Milestones, the podcast about birth and naming ceremonies, relationships and weddings, and death and funerals, right here on the We Made This Podcast Network. My name's Mark Adams, and I am a humanist celebrant. I'm also your host for this podcast. Humanist celebrant, by the way, is someone who is accredited and insured by Humanists UK to be able to write and present non-religious ceremonies for anyone and everyone. While I'm talking about that, any regular listeners to the show, if you are interested in a naming ceremony or a wedding performed by me, then you can get a 10% discount by quoting milestones when you contact me. If you want to do that, have a quick look at my website, www.humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams, and you can email me on mark.adams at humanistceremonies.org.uk. UK. Today's guest is, well, he's the head honcho of the We Made This Podcast Network, where this podcast lives. He's the guy that basically allows me to podcast, and I do feel that someone like Tony, who has so many podcasts, is kind of an inspiration to someone like me who who just loves to talk about the kind of things I like. I don't just do this podcast. I do podcasts about Red Dwarf. I do podcasts about children's telly. I do podcasts about comic books, video games, B-movies, and goodness knows what else. But it's all through the We Made This Podcast Network that I get to get my voice out there. And it's Tony who runs it. Tony who does all the crappy admin that I don't want to do. Tony who hosts everything. And... um I just love being a part of the We Made This Podcast Network. So it's a pleasure to have Tony on board because, you know, I listen to his podcast, I'm a part of his network and it's brilliant. But what I do have to let you know before I hand you over to the interview is we did have, ironically, considering he's like head honcho of podcasts, we had some technical difficulties. We thought we'd recorded the whole show, all three segments, but we did lose the footage for the funerals part. And we recorded the first time in May. (laughs) schedules and stuff we then didn't manage to get to record again until august so there is a five month gap in between the segments on naming ceremonies and weddings and then the segment on funerals so i don't think it really makes much of a difference you know there's nothing that's time specific really when it comes to this podcast but just thought i'd let you know in case there's kind of a i couldn't spot it but in case you kind of hear a blip in sound quality or anything like that. That's because they were recorded in two separate sessions. That being said, that's enough for me. I'll hand you over to the interview with Tony. My guest at this time is Tony Black. Hello, Tony. Hello, Mark. Thank you for having me on. Um, I feel this is quite a milestone in my life. See what I did there? I did. <laughs> yeah. You are the, I never know what to call you, head honcho, boss man superpower of the we made this podcast network i thought it would be nice to get at least one of the we made this hosts on as soon as possible so thank you for being on the show well thanks and i mean i don't know what to call myself either probably just um you know, podcast workaholic is probably, <laughs> it's probably my <laughs> best term really <laughs> well regardless i'm glad i've got you on because i think 
getting a podcaster on early will be quite an interesting thing in as much as everyone else isn't really used to podcasting, whereas you are. Yes, I've done it a little bit over the years, for the, like, the last six years or so, uh, <laughs> and, and running this uh, this network with a lot of other shows and a lot of other podcasters gives me some level of, of ability. But, you know, as ever, with everything, I'm always still learning along the way. Mm. Right, well, let's move on to our guest profile. And this is usually quite a personal question, but you have received these in advance. How old are you? I am, well, I do that classic thing where as soon as I turn the age I am, I'm already saying I'm the next age above. So in I am 37, but since around July of last year, I've been 38 in my head. So, <laughs> so I'm 38 in June. I thought I was the only person that did that. <laughs> no, I think everybody, I think loads of people do it. I've known other people. Even the moment you, you become an age, you're already thinking about the next one. Good grief. It's terrible, isn't it? We're wasting our lives away. Yeah, one of us, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so where are you from and what's your general background? So I'm from Birmingham, Birmingham in the Midlands, and born and bred in slightly north Birmingham. And uh, my background is fairly just normal sort of working class family, really. Um, nothing nothing too special, nothing too posh. My... Um, my mum has worked in law for like 50 years. My dad is good at maths, so he's been a betting betting office manager and supervisor for decades as well. Um, so he, he, lo- he loves sport and all that kind of thing. And yeah, just, just a very normal working class background, ultimately, for me. Mm. And this is the big one. This is kind of where you get to plug yourself. What do you do that makes you interesting? Oh, I'm very boring. We might as well skip this one. <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I suppose my I've got two sort of bread and butters, I guess. The, the first one that we talked about is the podcasting. So I talk heavily, really, about what I suppose you classify as popular culture. So, mm. you know, my bread and butter, I suppose, is TV and film mainly. Um, also, a little bit of music here and there, a little bit of gaming here and there, books, etc. But film and TV are my two key things. I would say that I've got a fair bit of knowledge about those subjects. I love researching. I love finding out more. I'm, I've watched like over 2,000 movies in my life. I've got this app that tracks how many uh, films and TV shows I watch. And the uh, I'm up to about 5,400 episodes of television over my life. It's something like five months back to back. So I've I've spent a lot of the time sitting on the sofa, basically, <laughs> over the over the years. I can't think of an app that suits you better than the app that you just described <laughs> that I've never heard of to this point. Well, I tell a lie; it doesn't actually track the movies. The movies I do through uh, another app called Letterboxd, which is also a really good site. But the, the app for the TV is called TV Time, and it's very good. And every epi- every time I watch a TV episode, I track it, I log it, and I put what I thought the rating was out of five. <laughs> I'm a bit obsessed with, with collating and rating these things. So I know exactly what I've watched, and I can refer back to it. And then apart from the podcasting, I suppose that I am a writer, and I've been writing for years. I've written, not professionally, but I've written in an amateur fashion script I used to write scripts for years based on like TV shows and things like that kind of like fan fiction I did quite a lot of that and I've sort of over the last few years segued more into critical writing so I do a lot of uh, I've done a lot of I ran a website for a time um, which was called Set the Tape which is still going I created with a friend of mine Owen 
And so I was editing other people's work, you know, reviewing TV shows, articles, think pieces, that kind of thing. And I've had, I've got my own website that I've done that on, and I've uh, guest written for other websites and things like that. And I've and I'm I've written a book which should be out hopefully in the summer. It's just taking a long time, particularly um, with current world events as we record. And that's all about mythology in in television shows and movies. And I'm writing a second book as well, all about the history and culture of the Star Trek universe. So I've got those strings to my bow as well and it's all in that kind of field really brilliant brilliant so let's move on to talking about earth when and where and how were you born well i was i was born on june the 9th 1982 is my birthday and i was born at a hospital called good hope hospital in sutton coldfield which is not far away from where i grew up Mm. and um it's colloquially known by a lot of people in that area as no hope hospital uh, <laughs> people going there which is a terrible <laughs> thing to say it's not actually terrible it's not a bad hospital although ominously there is a there is a cemetery right next door which always makes me think you know what do they do, do they just literally fling them over the fence you know and <laughs> yeah that's a combination for sure <laughs> so yeah i uh I was, in fact, my my quite a few relatives, my my grand my grandparents, two of my grandparents are buried next door to the hospital I was uh, I was born in. Which and there's there's every chance my mum might end up buried in that cemetery as well, possibly mm. one day. So it's there's a weird symmetry in a way. Um, so yeah, I was I was born there. Uh, and how how was I born? Was the other thing you asked me, wasn't it? Yeah. Do, what do you mean by how was I born? Just the the general mechanism and how? Yeah, whether there was anything I, interesting that happened during your birth, basically. No, I, I think in terms of how I was born, I remember being born on a Wednesday. And, well, I don't remember. No. <laughs> I've been told I was born on a Wednesday. I know that it was there was a heat wave at the time, apparently. Mm. So my mum was in labour for hours in baking heat. That doesn't sound fun. No, no. I mean, it would have been hot enough um, trying to, you know. And, and the thing is, what, what some people who know me laugh at is that my mum is tiny. My mum has always been like really, really small and mm. very thin. And I'm quite a big guy. I've, I'm over six foot. I've always been, you know, he- fairly heavy set. And quite a lot of people say, Were you born like, did you come out like this? <laughs> and I'm like, No, that would have killed her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, no, no other complications as far as I'm aware, really. Mm. But I just know that it was a long labour, and bless her, she was boiling. So you know, I'm sorry about that. Really, choosing to be born, although I love, I love when I'm, I was born. I love being a summer baby because so many birthdays I've had, the weather's been amazing on June the 9th. So it's great being born in the summer, right in the middle of the summer. Yeah, uh, the alternative for me is um, being born in September. Honestly, the one day of the year that I can guarantee that it will be wet and raining and grim is the 16th of September. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame, though, because it can go either way in September. You know, sometimes you get a bit of what they call an Indian summer, don't you, in this country, especially now, Mm. in that the the seasons seem to be getting a bit later. So it doesn't really get into... It doesn't really feel like it's winter until, like, February these days. Mm. So... Yeah, that's a shame. It's wet rain, though. I mean, that's the thing. Usually, I'm quite lucky. In the, at least doesn't rain on June the 9th. So, yeah. Seriously, mark it down <laughs> in your diary. 16th of September, rain. <laughs> I will. I'll check that. I will. I'll keep a track on it. <laughs> so, moving on, let's uh, t- tell me your favourite story from your childhood. 
Well, I've been I've been trying to think about this, and weirdly, I've said this before to my wife. I don't remember a lot about my childhood, strangely, and I don't. I I, I didn't have a traumatic one in any way. I didn't like suffer. It was a perfectly. De- I was. I was an. Maybe, maybe it's because I was an only child, and there's there's something. My, I think my wife has suggested maybe it was because I was an only child, and you know, you there are less. It was very quiet and quite peaceful. There were no, you know, big sibling rows, or there was there were no marked events where you have those days where it's a nightmare. Mm. The only one I remember that makes me laugh <laughs> is when we were on holiday, me and, me, me and my parents, and I was probably, I reckon, about 11, 12 years old. And my mum has always been quite a uh, stickler for, you know, not she's not a, a kind of rude anyway. She doesn't like profanity or anything like that or anything edgy or nothing like that. Right. And we were in, we were in this car and we were lost. I think it was somewhere like Bournemouth and we were lost and we were driving around for ages <laughs> for some reason. And I have no idea why I suddenly said, where the fuck are we? <laughs> <laughs> I was like 11 years old. And sh- sh- I've never seen my mother lose her shit in the way she did on that day she turned around and she went what did you say <laughs> we were trying and immediately i went oh god oh no what have i done and i was just she just destroyed me after that absolutely destroyed me and i don't think i've ever said that word in front of her since <laughs> i'm now like 38 years old nearly and i'm still scared scared to say the f word in front of her because like I don't know what possessed me. Though. I think my dad just sort of carried on driving as if to say, oh, you've done it now, mate. <laughs> you're in, you're in yeah, trouble now. Not getting involved. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, and I'll give you another one, actually, while I think of it. Not related to my parents. But um, I remember when I was at school, I was probably, I think I was weird at 11 years old. Because th- this is around the same age. So I was about year seven. Mm. And I was at school. And I was walking home. And these two girls who were in my class... And I even remember their names randomly enough. Faith and Leanne, they were called. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. Mm. And they were at the uh, bus stop across the road. And all they did, right, was was shout across the road saying, because I was known as Anthony then or Anthony. Mm. I was like, hi, Anthony, like that, across the road. And because I was like, I did not have any clue how to talk to girls till I was probably, I'd say, about in year 10, like year 13 or 14. You know, some some lads now, you know, by the time they're 10 years old, they're swaggering up to girls, you know, cock of the walk. I wasn't the one of them, right? So uh, <laughs> instead of turning around, like any normal young person would mark, any normal person in life would turn around and go, hi, or whatever, even if you're nervous. Mm. What do you think I did? I suspect it's something pretty embarrassing, otherwise it wouldn't be a very good story. Well, it, I, I, I would challenge anyone to guess what I'm about to say, right? Because when I look back, I don't know why I did this. Okay. I turn around... Uh, and you've got to imagine me doing this. I turned around and I pretended to be like a cross between a, a sort of a cow bull. And I turned around and I went, and I did, I did the, the motion with my fingers, like, like a bull's horn. Right. Right. <laughs> and I turned, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. I turned around and I carried on walking and immediately, and they just started laughing like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and I just carried on walking. And even as I was walking, I was thinking, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why, why, why? And to this day, Mark, I have no idea why. When they said hello to me, I turned around and I pretended to be like a bull. I think everybody's got a moment from their childhood <laughs> where they did something <laughs> so utterly peculiar. 
Weird, yeah, peculiar. And they can't justify it. They can't explain why they did it, but they probably learned from it. Yeah, well, he, he, uh, uh, what I learned was that I was weird. <laughs> maybe that's why I didn't really properly talk to girls then for another three years. Because I was like, if I talk to them, I'm going to pretend to be some sort of bovine animal. Like I can't, I can't do this. Um, yeah, very strange. Very, I was a very strange boy. Clearly, I think I lived in my in my world of like TV and films, and I didn't know how to talk to people, <laughs> particularly <laughs> girls. Going back to your thing about your mum. I think, again, that's something that a lot of people remember. It's the first time they swore in front of their folks. And then, yeah, yeah, I got a similar reaction from my dad. So um, I can definitely empathize with that one too. (laughs) It's funny as well. Yeah, it's interesting because I've thought about this since. Because I know you're going to ask about this soon, but I don't have children yet. And Hmm. I'm thinking in terms of what kind of parent I'd be like. And I feel like... I wouldn't want to be effing and blinding in front of my kids or anything, but I feel like I wouldn't be furious if they said a swear word. I would say, why is it you've said that? Mm. You know, I'd be more like, why, what is it about that word that you think's right? Whereas my mom just shut me down and she was tearing into me and she was, how dare you say that? Yeah. Those kind of thing scared me straight. Sure. But I, I'm a bit more interested in trying to therapize a kid in a way and go, why, why is that acceptable? Why would you say that now? What what does it mean? Why have you said that? You know, because then when I when I was eleven, I I didn't in a way know what that word meant. In a way, I just knew it was a bad word, and I'd, I'd heard it said in other playground or whatever. Although there wasn't as much swearing on the playground as now, mm. but the what it was there, uh, but there was no conversation about what that means. You know what I mean? It was just you will not say that word ever again. Yeah, but yeah, she definitely <laughs> she definitely got a message through. I'll give her that. Yeah, I think that's probably a generational thing because I would have a similar... In fact, I do have a similar approach because I'm a scout leader and if one of the kids... It tends to be testing whether or not they can get away with it with me, to be honest with you. And if one of the kids... I'm not so bothered by the... What I'd call the lower swears. You can say crap. Mm. I can't Mm. be bothered to deal with a child who says crap thinking that it will shock me because it won't. And a child saying fuck won't shock me. But that is the point where I think I need to just sit him down and say, why did you say that? Yeah, so I think yeah, I think yeah. you're probably coming from a generational thing because I got a similar rocket from my dad. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I try not to say this a lot and that I think this should happen because I'm not a parent and it's different. it's different for everybody. I get that. But I feel like I would be more interested in explaining why it was not acceptable and there's discipline there is a level of discipline i think you should have but also trying to unpick with them why you why they said it and why it's not a word to say in the future in that way in that context yeah and and at all really until you're of a certain age i mean i'm not bothered about i wouldn't be bothered if i had a 16 year old who, who said that word as part of a vernacular they with their mates it's what it's what kids do it's what teenagers do it's 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 knowing the boundary yeah, you know, and that's what I'd be more interested in understanding, really, and helping them understand. But that's just me. Yeah, it is generational. You're right. Yeah. So you said that you don't have kids. Do you want kids in future? Yeah, yeah. I think I think I do. I I I did have years ago, like before I met my wife and things. I did have a point where I was thinking. I always assumed I might do, but and I was never sure why I would do it. I was a bit like, why why like i'm assuming i will but why but 
it it, it would be great to have them with my wife definitely and it's one of the things that we we would like we would like to happen eventually definitely i think so when you do will you have a naming ceremony a christening or any other ceremony to welcome your children into the world well we've (laughs) i I keep i'm aware that a lot of this goes back to my mother but (laughs) but i need to mention her again she could not get her head around why we wouldn't have a christening now the reason is we're not in any way religious Mm. in any way we didn't we didn't have a i know i know again i know you're going to ask i think about weddings and stuff but um we didn't have a church wedding you know in any way we we don't hold any belief in any kind of religious thing at all yeah so i know i wouldn't have a christening 100 percent would not have a christening in a church there is no i have no interest that whatsoever and she couldn't get her head around that she's like well you gotta have a christening i said no you had a christening we're not religious i said no but that's up to, I don't have to. She couldn't even understand. She didn't even think it, it, the baby would be legal without a christening. And I was like, what? <laughs> no. That, that's what the registrar's for. Exactly, right? And I was, I, so again, it's a kind of thing in that, well, of course you have a christening. Like, no, that's a choice you can make. Just because in previous generations people did it, whether they were religious or not, doesn't mean you do it now. Yeah. And that's where I think that's changed, actually. I'd be much more inclined to have some sort of... I haven't, we haven't really given it a ton of thought, but we would be more inclined to have some sort of welcoming ceremony or naming ceremony, yeah, you know, as part of that. But nothing with a religious connotation, nothing with baptism or putting them in a font or whatever, you know, with God and all that. I don't give a toss about any of that. Mm. It doesn't mean anything to me because it's not part of my life. So, and, you know, greatest of respect to people who it is, but I'm not going to pretend that that, is important to me and we do it just because we should no so yeah definitely not christening (laughs) i'm getting that and but i think there's a lot of (laughs) unfortunately like like your mum wanting you to have a christening i think there's a lot of pressure on people who aren't religious now who grew up in a even a vaguely religious background like i did my my folks are claimed to be church of england i think the last time they were in in a church was a random wedding for someone else's kids. You know, they, they're they yeah. certainly not practicing, but they are the kind of generation that would still want you to have a christening. And I can't quite get my head around it, particularly if they know that you aren't Christian. Yeah, I, I think there's some kind of um, social thing about it, sort of. And I think this is where generationally, our generation, particularly the next one, are changing in terms of the way we view the world in that I don't think it, we're as bothered about these social status things that you are accepted that you should do. And that that's why I think that's why in many ways we're much more open to um generationally we're much more open to gay marriage, we're much more open to to trans LGBTQ all this kind of stuff because ultimately all these traditional sort of social strictures of how it should be don't mean as much to us because I think we've seen a world change and transform and we've seen so many people unhappy mm. in those kind of worlds in that's kind of dynamics that we're like fuck that we just love who you want be happy do it how you want to do it you know you make your own path with this Mm. you know and whether you're an atheist or not and i wouldn't say i'm a full-on atheist but i wouldn't i wouldn't i don't believe in any kind of organized religion so i'm sort of close to that but i think it is all about that you know you don't have to do it the way your parents did it and if anything quite honestly much as I, i do love my parents and i don't think they did a bad job in any way necessarily i think there are a lot of things they did that they didn't even think about that they just assumed they had to do because their parents did it or their parents parents did it and i'm like no 
I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, and this is exactly why I want as diverse a group of people as I possibly can on this podcast. So I've gone yeah. for a celebrant colleague who was who's 72, and then I want to talk to someone who's only just hit 18 and yeah. see how those two contrast. I find it all fascinating the way things have changed, but also the way things stay the same. Just because you don't have faith doesn't mean that you don't not only want, but almost need the reassurance of ceremonies in your life. And that's, I guess that's what the podcast is about. It's about how people organize their need for ceremonies. Do you think you would have baby naming ceremonies, a non-religious equivalent of a christening? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't see why not, really. I think I think there is something still important about not about making a an event about it and making it special, you know, in the because it is. It's like like this whole podcast, the name of this podcast, it's a milestone. It is it is a key thing. Mm. You know, it, it, it we didn't and that's why, you know, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but that's why we wanted to do something we could have just had a registry office wedding on its own, but we did more. We wanted more than that. And it, it wasn't a religious connotation. So mm. I think we would absolutely be the same with a child. I think it would be very much the idea of we want to celebrate this child's arrival in the world and what that means to us and what that means to our friends and our family and and have something to be able to go, talk with that child about one day and say, look, this was your, this was how it all began. You know, mm. this was where we introduced you to the world, yeah. you know, without it being a, a, some sort of covenant with, with a God I don't believe exists. So, you know, yeah, definitely. Mm. And have you gone as far as thinking about what you might like to be a part of the ceremony? Not really, not really. I think we're 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 still at the, we're still theoretically trying to come up with a decent list of names <laughs> because we're finding that hard. <laughs> you know, we're, like, we're like we really well. I tell a lie. We've got a ton of girl names that we really like, but boys' names are murder. They're really difficult. Not Tony Junior. Not Tony Junior. Sadly, no. <laughs> I think one Tony's enough for this world. <laughs> but <laughs> one Tony Black. I think once we once we're pregnant and once we get to that point, hopefully, if we're lucky enough to have a child, then I think we would start thinking about that more. But um, yeah, not admittedly yet. We just know we probably would. All right, let's move on to talking about weddings. The first question is: Are we married? And you've already said we know you are. Yep. So tell me about your wedding day. It was great. It were, in a way, we had two wedding days. We were lucky <laughs> because we got married in a registry office first on, I think it was August the, oh, I should know this really, shouldn't I? Tony! August, <laughs> August I'm the... totally not editing that out either. <laughs> no, you better keep it in because um, <laughs> I need to be told off for that, really. <laughs> we got <laughs> we got married midweek and then we, on the, on the Wednesday and on the Saturday, we we registered your office on the on the midweek, and that was just close family. So it was parents uh, and you know siblings and things like that. Mm. And it was a very small group because I'm an only child, and and my mum's not remarried. So because uh, my parents divorced, so my mum's not remarried. So it was it was and sadly my my wife's father's no longer hit with us either. So it was it's a bit it was quite a small group. Mm. Um, and then three days later, um, because my wife is from Wiltshire. We went down to a farm in Wiltshire, which is owned by my mother-in-law's partner. And we basically spent the whole of 2018 converting a cow shed 
into our wedding venue. <laughs> Believe it or not. So next, right next to the farmhouse, which is beautiful because it's in the middle of the countryside. There's fields as far as you can see. Beautiful woodland, really lovely setting. And we, the, this cow shed next to it, we realised could be could become a lovely sort of partially outdoor wedding venue in the summer. Mm. So we 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 were literally me and and the rest of their family down there and some amazing friends who helped us out and all this kind of thing. We spent months literally literally mucking out shit <laughs> like Lovely. cow shit up to your top of your thighs basically full of cow shit we mucked that out we were pressure washing the walls and the floors we were painting the inside we set up lights we set up speaker systems we converted an entire area into like a mini kitchen we we built essentially a, a kitchen for catering staff who came down this company from the Wirral who were amazing who came down and did it all on site and it was just amazing. It was. I've got. We've got it all photo. We've got photos of it all, of course, and everything like that. But it was brilliant, and I think it was so intentionally sort of bespoke to what we wanted and what we realised we we could do in that environment. That we're quite proud of the fact that that will never happen again, like that in that place. You know, it feels to me like by renovating that barn that you kind of earned your wedding in a lot of ways suppose (laughs) i suppose we did we did work for it every pretty much every weekend across 2018 we were down in that shed helping out with mucking it out cleaning it getting it ready and it was tough i won't lie there were points where my inner grump came out quite a lot (laughs) But we did have a wonderful time, actually. And we, we look back on it now as a family and we're like, do you know what? That made the whole thing... Because obviously the day flies by. Yeah. The day just rockets by. But it, it felt like it was months, really, in that it was all about building up to that. And that whole process of getting it ready just made it even more of a longer experience than mm. it would be if you turn up to a venue on the day, which I know for a lot of people is perfectly great and it's lovely and they have a brilliant time, but... For us, it felt more involved. It's like we built our own wedding venue and then helped take it all down again. Because <laughs> now it's full of shit again. <laughs> so it's all gone. It's all gone. You'd never know. You And we went down there about four months later in the winter and you would never know that that was ever used in that way. And you wouldn't believe it either. Like, you, I'd be like, oh, come on. Do me a favour. Like, no, we've got photos to prove it. <laughs> That's so cool. And I guess having that as you know that no one else can have the same wedding venue as you. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, we didn't do it. We didn't do it for that. We weren't doing it to show off or anything like that. It was, it was purely the fact that we didn't want to just, we knew we weren't going to have a church wedding for the reasons I've explained. We didn't want to just go to a registry office and do that, which is fine, but it's very, you you know, you're in a product, you're in a production line there. You know, you just get you through one after the other. You're a number really. And we knew we didn't want that. And, you know, we were thinking of other venues and and stuff. And then, you know, we started to think about... My, my wife is very creative. She's very creative-minded. She's always she's always thinking of, of how to do things. And she finds things online. And she reads a lot about how to make a home special or ideas for, you know, creative stuff. She's, she's brilliant. And I think she would have... She picked up somewhere that actually, you know, you can convert venues. And then it just felt quite organic, really. And then we just asked the person who owns the farm and he was like and he's great because he's very much a kind of yeah we can do that 
he's a proper farmer. Like mm. he's like, yeah, we'll give it a go. And he was he was brilliant in that sense because he he did a lot of the heavy lifting there. So it just felt very organic and it felt very like what we wanted. And I, it's funny because she she grew up in the country and I, I'm a townie and I'm a proper townie. And I never believed that I would ever find an affinity for the countryside. But over the years we've been together, we were together like three years before we got married. I've spent a lot of time in Wiltshire, which is a beautiful county yeah, um, down in the southwest. And I really found that I felt like I feel at home down there as much as I do up here. And, and we will move there one day, I think. But it felt like a real testament for us both to actually get married down there and actually create a country wedding. Mm. And it, it just really felt organic and like what we wanted to do. So, and it came out great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really pleased to say it came out great. I will send you some photos actually, so you can see what I what I mean. <laughs> um, but yeah. So you talked about how you made it unique by creating your own space. On the day itself, you, you also said that it was unique there. Can you explain a little bit more about that? So we we kind of structured it. So we had we had a friend do the ceremony as well. So we, we structured it so everyone sort of had a role to play in a way at various points. So a friend of ours, what he want, he was he was interested in being a, a humanist celebrant, and he went away and he did some because because it wasn't an actual formal wedding day. We'd already got married on the Wednesday, so legally we were married on that day. So he was a great calming influence and and to do that sort of ceremony and he was very interested in that kind of stuff and we said you do it then you know we we don't have to have anything official there's no registrar or anyone coming for this we've done all that but we'll have the ceremony of it of it and he did a brilliant job and he's since gone on to train to be a humanist celebrant oh basically oh right i probably know him then what's his name bill bill swift his name is (laughs) I, i did my training with bill swift no he was on my course you didn't yeah, so really, yeah, I know Bill. Good grief, it's a small world. Wow, that is that that my mind is blown. <laughs> now, now, Bill talked about you during our training. He didn't really. What did he say? Well, he talked about why he was at the training, and he was like, "I married my friends outdoors, and I now want to get the the official training under my belt because I've I've done that, and I like doing it." Amazing. amazing i can't believe that what a what a small world this is yeah yeah and that was it that was as was that wedding he was he's talked about and yeah he's 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 a wonderful guy he's such a he's such a zen kind of person he's he's gone through a lot he's had his own ups and downs in his life Mm. but he's a really wise calming gentle man a gentleman Mm. He's, in fact, he's just become a father himself, so I'm very happy for him and his wife, who is also brilliant, um, and they're two of our best friends. Yeah, so he, if anyone, if anyone is in the Devon area, because that's where he's based, and and needs and wants a humanist celebrant, he is brilliant, and he's such a lovely man, and he will bring he brings such a an interest, you know, in and not not just because he knew us, but also he wanted to he wanted to do it well. Yeah, he wanted it to really feel like. It was tailored to us both and it meant something and it was more than just somebody getting up there who you don't know, you know, and we were so pleased with how he did it, Mm. basically. I think every humanist celebrant will bring that to your ceremony. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm a humanist celebrant, but having met (laughs) Phil and having trained with Phil and, you know, seen what he was doing, even in the training, 
I think you're bang on. He was always going to be a brilliant celebrant. Yeah, and he's 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 just got that nature to him. I think. But we were so happy with that. We knew we knew he'd do a good job. It's why we asked him. Mm. But he, he he really exceeded our expectations. I think. And then we we sort of set it up so the whole day had a nice feel of you know everyone sat on like hay bales outside. Um, because thankfully we had the weather. So it was under this big tree, which was right next to the farmhouse, which was then right next to the, the, the cow shed, which we turned into the venue and all this kind of thing. And, you know, we just tried to have little bespoke touches about us as people as well. So yeah. it, we, we tapped into my love of um, popular culture by all our play, all our table names were based on famous TV or movie couplings. So we had Mulder and Scully as the top table. <laughs> we had... Kirk and Spock, we had Han and Leia from Star Wars, you know, we Amazing. had uh, the Doctor and the TARDIS, and a friend of ours, great <laughs> illustrator and writer, r- drew the characters, and he did a brilliant job, and he drew them, so they were all pictures with the names on the tables, so that was a lovely little touch as well. Brilliant. My cufflinks were the Starfleet logo from Star Trek as well. <laughs> of course they were, <laughs> So there were nice little touches like that. And we also bought each other, and this was something we'd read, my wife had read about. We bought each other a wedding gift for the morning before we saw each other. So some, something to open with our respective, in my case, my best man and friends, and then, you know, her um, bridesmaids. Yeah. And we gave, we gave each other the present beforehand. She bought some um, some really nice trainers that she wanted to sort of wear. So I bought, I got laces done, which said um, Mrs. Black on them so that she could lace into a tray. In a, I think the trainers were a present from me as well, actually thinking mm. back, but so she got those, she got those to wear on the day. Love and it. She did me something we've now put up in the house, which was um, the constellations on the day we were married, oh. which is really cool. So we've got now the constellations of the farm. So what the stars looked like at the exact point we got married on that farm, basically on that ceremony day, which is now framed and it's in our living room. That's cool. That's a nice little touch to do really. So yeah, little touches like that, I suppose made it unique. And um, this is a favorite because I'm putting together a Spotify playlist and associated okay. with this show. What song did you pick for your first dance? Well, we went for something maybe slightly unorthodox. <laughs> Good. In that we we went for and I and the reason again people have said, "Oh, this is how you knew that she was the right woman for you, Tony." When you when she agreed to this, we we had the orchestral track from "We Have All the Time in the World" from the James Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service by John Barry. Okay, which is my favourite piece of music in the world. It is just beautiful. The orchestra, the song itself, the Louis Armstrong, you know, we have all the time in the world. Yeah. You know that. It's a great song. But the orchestral, that whole album is wonderful. I'm a big film score fan. And the John Barry tune is the most beautiful romantic thing in the world. So we had that as our first dance, the two of us. And yeah, somebody then pointed out to me, I think my best man pointed out to me that he said, you do remember that that song comes at the end after James Bond's wife has been shot dead. (laughs) After he's just got married. Wow. <laughs> and I went, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oops. <laughs> um, so, but apart from that, it really worked well. And then we we immediately kicked it into, um, like, at the, our curated playlist that we put together, which was, um, I think it was Jackie Wilson. Your love lifts me up. You know, that, your love 
leaps me higher, that one. Yeah, And yeah. then we got everyone on the dance floor and we were off then. So yeah, that was our first one. Amazing. I love it. And I, I, I love <laughs> it when people do something that is quintessentially them rather than yeah. something generic, but still romantic, mm. but generic. So that's, ah, oh, it's just a joy to hear when people make their weddings about them rather than about what they think everybody else would want them to have. Yeah, and, and in terms of music, I got really annoyed later on. We'd spent weeks putting together what we thought was a brilliant playlist of music that we loved, me and my wife. And we were hopeful that other people would enjoy, but if I'm honest, we didn't care. No. <laughs> we were like, we love it. We want to dance to this. And then by about 11 o'clock when people, because because we didn't have a chucking out time, it went on to like two in the morning, right? Easily. Good. Which was great. So, But it was about 11 o'clock by the time everyone was pretty pissed. Then people started messing with the, with the, uh, one of my groomsmen started messing with this and then other people got involved. And I was like, Oi, what are you doing? We've curated this. <laughs> <laughs> that did my head in because then started putting on stuff. I was like, that's not on the playlist. He was like, Oh, bugger off. So yeah, by then though, I couldn't stop them. They were having fun. Okay. You know, I suppose they've got to have fun as well at some point, you know. I'm not so sure about that. It's your fucking. <laughs> well, exactly. So we're going to move on and talk about death. The first one is probably the heaviest, maybe, maybe not. Are you scared of death? I think so. I think so. It's it's probably a bit morbid to admit, but I I actually think quite a lot about death. I don't think that's morbid. I, I, I know it's 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 strange. I mean, you know, I'm a uh, late thirties man. I am. I would say I'm in perfect health, but I'm not in bad health as such. You know, I've got I've got a few little issues, but um, I'm not in um, in real trouble and stuff like that. I uh, I don't know. I really do just often find myself dwelling on it. I have recently with you know we're recording the day after we found out that Chadwick Boseman died of cancer. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, that's just shock it, shocked everybody and shook it because he kept it secret and he did all these amazing films. Yep. For all the, to pretty much most of the time he was, you know, certainly all the Marvel stuff, for the time he was he was being treated. And he was 43, you know. Which is one year older than me. Right, yeah. And it's like five, four or five years, five years older than me. You know, it's in the same ballpark. And, you know, there, were, there was... Um, there was a few moments over during, you know, have been during the lockdown where people close-ish to me have have died. You know, somebody my wife had to do CPR on at work, a, a work colleague in a really harrowing situation who eventually passed away, had a massive stroke, and then somebody I worked with who just was found dead in his flat, and the, and he was Good he grief. was forty one, yeah. And he just had a hemorrhage, brain hemorrhage, I think, and just died in his sleep. And it's just, it's those things that, you know, make me think, oh my God, just the randomness of it all. And for some, for some people anyway, or the tragedy of it with like Chadwick Boseman, who's obviously somebody I never knew, but I admired a great deal mm. for lots of reasons. And he seemed, he seemed like a genuinely lovely man. I mean, aside from the fact that there's, there's been a lot of death anyway, lately with the virus and yeah. You know, all kinds of other things going on in the world. It's not even just about that. It's more about the whole idea of mortality. It just, it does play on my mind, weirdly. 
you know, I, I and, and more, more, a little bit more as I tend to get older. Maybe that's maybe that's natural. I don't know. I think you're probably right. There is an element of it's more natural to be thinking about death as you get older. But I also think that it's natural to think about death because mm. it kind of makes you value what you have and who you have because everybody knows that we've all got an expiry date. Yeah, we you, you know, we're all going there in the end. We're all getting there. But, you know, some people just... Oh, maybe they give this impression. It's not necessarily true, but they they bounce through life and they never seem to think about this stuff. You know, I was a little bit more like that when I was a bit younger, throughout my 20s. And I, the, the weird thing is, and maybe this is part of it, like you've just said, I would say right now in the most pleasant and stable point of my life in a way ever since childhood, you know, I'm mm. married to a wonderful woman We've got lots of promise in our future of things we want to do and things we're going to hopefully do. You know, I live in a nice place. I've got a job that I'm happy in. I'm very aware that I have a lot of, well, privilege, frankly, in a way, without being wealthy. I am, I am, a, I am a fortunate person in the situation of the world right now to be. But if anything, I think more about it now, and, may, and maybe that is maybe that is because in a way I feel like I have more to lose. Yeah. I feel like I have, <laughs> I have more that I don't want to lose and I feel like I'm maybe I'm valuing things in a way more so it, it does scare me but I it, it, what I do hope is that by thinking about it by engaging more with it I will learn to make peace with the idea more as I grow older that makes a lot of sense yeah are you suggesting that maybe as you're younger you don't think about it much when you hit kind of our age almost might be the peak almost like a bell curve of mm. kind of concern about death do you think perhaps perhaps because although we are not at the point where everyone around us should be dying or anything like that in theory mm. and you'd like to think that we've still got a good 30 40 for lucky 50 years in us yes please <laughs> hopefully yeah that would be great but you do start to, you know, I've, I joke to my mum, my wife's five years younger than me, and, and ter- so she's just turned about 33. And I joke, and I always say, you wait till you get to 35, it's all downhill, right? The, mo- the moment you get to 35, it, you suddenly go, why am I aching there? Why have I got this ailment? Where did this come from? <laughs> Genuinely, after, once I got to 35, Mark, everything seemed to go to shit. <laughs> I Do you know what? It was 41 for me, but I can empathise. Well, that's good. You had a little bit longer than I did, but like, um, no, it just felt, it just felt like I am a bit of a hypochondriac, to be fair. But it, it did feel like suddenly, in a weird way, I turned that point and I started to notice things more, or more things things became apparent. So I don't know. I, th- I think maybe it is. Maybe it is a bit of a turning point as you get towards your late thirties, forty, mm-hmm. and you are theoretically roughly middle aged, as the term defines itself. Oh dear, I don't want to be called middle-aged. Well, we, we, this is it, we don't think of ourselves as middle-aged, and if you're going to live till 90, Mark, then in, technically you're not middle-aged yet. But if I'm going to live to 80, I am, bloody you hell. Are. Yeah, exactly. But but oh. it, the definition means more when you're younger. You know, you think middle-age is like this ancient, this, this ridiculously far-off thing, concept that you're never going to be. So as you get to these age, it's like old people, old, old people almost certainly some, in some cases don't think of themselves as being old. 
even though they're 70. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? It's weird. As you get towards these ages, you see it from a different perspective, I think. And you maybe kind of nudge what your definition of middle-aged is. As you get older, yeah. old, if you, when you're 30, it's 40. When you're 40, oh, it's yeah. 50. It's 50. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, ultimately, long-winded answer is, I am, I hope to be less so as the years go by. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And um, have you ever experienced the death of a loved one? Yes, yeah. Uh, the, the only the only major one, really, would be my mother's mum, uh, which was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. My granddad as well, he passed away about four years before that. He, and I was very sad about that, but we weren't as close. He was somebody who was not very much in my life for most of my childhood. He'd pop in and out and give me 20 quid here and there, and that'd be it, really. <laughs> which, which, to when you're a kid, is like getting five grand... In the 90s, when your granddad gave you 20 quid, I was like, what? I'm rich. I mean, yeah. In the in the like late 80s, early 90s, that is rich. It was. You were rich, yeah. You know, because you, if you're lucky, <laughs> you get a few quid pocket money from your parents to get 20 pounds. Yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, that was good. But um, it wasn't just that I missed him for when he died. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and and also my my the, the my nan who passed away, her brother passed away like five years before her, and and I liked him a lot, and he was my great uncle Stan. He was he was he was a good guy, but so yes, but my it was my nan really that's the been the biggest one, and I have I've been lucky touch wood to not have anybody close to me pass away since, except um, for my wife's grandmother who died mm. last summer. In fact, almost almost to the day we're recording, actually, right. she's not family, but she was family. By the by, that point to me, she was like, "What was lovely about her was that she thought of me as a grandson, and I hadn't had that feeling for years, many many years, because my other mm. my other nan passed away. It's, it's a long story, but I, I didn't see my dad for many years, and she died in that in, interim, basically. Right. So I didn't know she died for about five years, five six years after she'd actually died. Oh wow, that's that must have been weird to find out that way then. It was odd. I I kind of thought she probably had because I I was th- I knew that when I did see my dad again, she would have been about ninety six years old. So right. I thought the chances of her being alive now are probably quite slim. But I hadn't seen her for nearly twenty years. Right. So it wasn't a shock. It was more an affirmation of yeah, I expected that really. But um, it's a strange situation when you have no idea your grandmother's died for years. Yeah. But, yeah, it was sad, but not in a grief way. I don't grieve her as such because, again, I wasn't as close to her. And it felt to me like she'd already died years ago in a weird way, which is, probably makes me sound awfully callous. But it's not that I don't care. No, it's weird, isn't it? You, you, perhaps the phrasing it was wrong, but I completely understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean it to sound like I don't care that she's died by any means. But it's there's a maybe more of a distance for me mm. in in that. And had I, had she been in my life, it would have been it would have been different. I know it would have been different. I would have had I had conflicting feelings about the woman really. But I've been I would have been sad at the in in the moment. But with my with my other nan, it was devastating. It was really yeah. devastating. And because I, I, I was twenty two, I think at the time, and. It just it, it was a bit sudden, really. She was she was about eighty, and she had she did have health issues, but it, we didn't expect her to die. She wasn't dying for a long time. It was just all happened over a couple of weeks, really. And 
it hit me really hard. But I remember being at the graveside, just crying with the, everyone. And it's like, I've got a huge family on that side of the family, and they were all there, but they'd gone, and I just cried my eyes out at that graveside. So, yeah, I think it's... It, I've been lucky that I haven't had as, as much close death as other people. It's it's uh, It affects everybody in different ways, as I'm sure yeah. you found doing this podcast, you know? Yeah, and I think I need to maybe start looking at people who aren't in their 30s and 40s. But because I'm in my early 40s, most of my mates are in their 30s and 40s. Mm. So I'm going to try and um, try and get the perspectives of older and younger people, if I can, mm. going forward. Mm. But what basically what you've described is close to what a lot of people have said as well, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I suppose it's because we're all at the age now where we're losing grandparents or we've lost them. And for most of us, it's like all my all my, um, all my wife's grandparents are gone now. My, all mine are gone. It's sad because there's that, that aspect of your life is very... It almost defines youth, having grandparents around. I think so. Once they're gone, you realise that your youth in a way is gone as well, I think. <laughs> it's more of a reminder that the next, the next lot who are going to start clocking off are your parents oh absolutely which is a sobering thought it's a very sobering thought as you realize yeah, that yeah. they're getting towards the age or they are the age now mm. that your grandparents were when you were growing up yeah absolutely i mean <laughs> my, my folks were in their 70s i don't feel old because i'm 40 i feel old because my folks are in their 70s does that make any sense 100 percent. my dad's 70 next year and it's going to be really odd to think of him as a as a seventy. Not that seventy's ancient by any means, but it's old. He's an old man now, so mm. like, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's a strange feeling, really. Yeah. So we're going to move on and talk about your funeral. Do you want to be buried or cremated? Well, I uh, I used to joke, and this just shows how unfunny I am. But I used <laughs> to joke about how. Uh, I want to have enough money to be cryogenically frozen for when they cure death. <laughs> How very is, sci-fi. Well, this is somebody who grew up watching too much sci-fi, Mark, you see. What, too, many, too many viewings of things like Demolition Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, fr- fr- freeze me because then they'll cure death one day. And, they'll, and then my, my wife, I've said that to my wife, and she says, yeah, but I'll be long dead. I said, yes, but they'll have holograms then. So, you know... I can recreate you as a hologram. She said, oh, yeah, so what if you die when you're 75, 80? Are you going to recreate 75, 80-year-old me? I said, well, no. I'll create, like, 30-year-old you. (laughs) So I'll basically become an immortal Bernie Eccleston in, like, the year 3000. Um, Okay, good. Um, I've I've had some wonderful answers for this, but that's... You know, a lot of them have been off the wall. People have said, you know, what, last episode, uh, Dan was like, yeah, I quite like the idea of being mutilated and so people can investigate my corpse. What? (laughs) But you are just as weird as him. Good. I approve. I I absolutely refuse to be labelled the same level of weird as somebody who wants their corpse to be mutilated. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into real life crime, and um, yeah, he's he was wonderful guest. Was this Dan from Pretty Fly? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he's funny. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, I uh, I probably would 
say burial ultimately I, I, no. I have wondered about this I, th- I think you know there is something to be said for being cremated and having your ashes scattered somewhere of particular meaning but I don't know if I'm that kind of person I don't know you know I, I wouldn't want to be a I don't know a Gene Roddenberry and get your ashes thrown out into space or I'm not like a mm. a seafaring person who wants my ashes scattered at sea and all that kind of thing you know I, I don't really have anything like like that so I think I'd rather be buried you know, well, it, I think it would be buried in the plot with my wife, you know, or before yeah. or with my wife, which I'm guessing she would think along similar lines, really. Because I still think there's something there's something quite calming about that, you know. I mean, it all. This is. I also think a lot about the the possibility of anything beyond, and the rational part of my mind thinks there probably isn't really. <laughs> My my logical brain says no. There's nothing like you didn't come from anything. There's nothing to go to. But I, I'd like to think the, the fear of death is lessened if you feel like that person is with you, even dead, just mm. next to you in a box. You know, something yeah. like that. There's a comfort in that. I think. Yeah, and did I, I think you mentioned you um, got some comfort from spending time at your grandmother's grave. Do you think mm. that maybe that's kind of influenced your thinking on this? It could have been. I think, you know, she she was buried with her husband. My, my wife's grandmother who died, she was buried just down from, well, sadly, both her husband and her son, because my wife's father died like 10 years ago, very suddenly. Good grief. Yeah, it was really sad. Before I, before I knew her or him. Mm. Um, so I never got a chance to know my father-in-law, sadly. But yeah, so she's buried with them. Right, and but not in the same plot, just but in the same graveyard, just a couple down. So it's right. the, which is what she wanted. She was very. She got to an age where she was in her mid eighties, and she was talking a lot about this. She was saying, "Oh, you know, I I want to go. I want to go in there with that. You know, that kind of thing." So she was very clear about what she wanted. Hmm. So, but maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. I think once my once I saw that plot for my nan, I think maybe. So, I think these things do have a marked effect on you. You know. Mm. That's not a pun on your name, by the way. <laughs> well, <good day. laughs> hey, that's a marketing technique for me. It's, yeah, I'll have a marked effect on your plans for death, everyone. I am absolutely not using that as a marketing <laughs> slogan, just to make that clear. Probably wise. Have you had a thought about what reading you might like at your funeral? I don't really know. I think, to be honest, I would want a funeral service to be as non-religious centric as possible, I guess. I don't, I, I hmm. wouldn't want any kind of traditional readings. I, I remember my, my wife's grandmother's funeral actually. And it felt a lot like a, a factory line in a way. It, a lot of it was very insert into this slot here. And I was disappointed with that. The only spark in that, in what was, been said about her was from my wife who actually was really close to her knew her very well and did this lovely speech about which was very personalized but almost everything else could have been ported in from any other funeral was it with a vicar or a celebrant it was with a vicar it was in a church right okay a very disinterested vicar in my opinion it felt like this was like a maybe she was one of about four in a day you know it just yeah yeah she just didn't feel like she was invested in it and i and, and i think I mean, I don't know how all these things work, but I just feel like there could have been more 
thought given and my wife did give a lot of thought to it and it really stood out as something that was really personalised to mm. to Mary. I, I, so I would want something, I think, that whoever knows me best does something along those lines. And I don't I don't really yeah. know what a reading would be. I think it would be something to do with, you know, popular culture because I'm, you know, I'm, I've got my head in TV and movies and all this kind of thing. But I've tried to think about it and there's, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. But I just know it would be something along those lines. Something that, and something probably that makes, makes people laugh because what I don't want is a really sombre, dour, desperately sad funeral. You know, yeah. I don't, I think it's it's become a weird thing, maybe in this country, that everyone is convinced they have to really be sad all the time at a funeral. Whereas I think, why do we do that? Like, yep. surely we should be, like, not being happy that someone's gone, but celebrating them and celebrating what we loved about them. And I don't think funerals do that sometimes. They're either locked in a sort of religious pattern if you're going down a church road, which I certainly won't. Mm. I didn't get married in a church. I'm not getting buried in one either. <laughs> you know, in that sense, I'm having a funeral in one. So, you know, I just think let's get rid of the maudlin aspect of it. You can be sad while also having laughter in it or yeah. enjoying the, the, the celebration of that person's life. But, you know, I know not everyone sees it that way. <laughs> but In my experience as a celebrant, people either want quite scientific type funerals with scientific readings or they want to emphasise the fact that the person was funny. The person what did want a funeral that made you laugh rather than cry. So this, I almost have those two kind of sides mm. of what I do when I write funerals. I do find it's either we want this funny or we want this scientific. Yeah. When you say scientific, do you mean a like particular structure? No, I mean like the readings. So like things about how your atoms will be reformed into something else and things like that. So that's the right. kind of readings people go for. Something that will make you laugh or something that will make you think. Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that logic. I can understand the logic of wanting to make you think and that kind of thing. But I, I think I think it's just got to be, you know, as in line with that person as possible. If that person was quite a serious, focused person, then maybe a big, like, you know, jokey <laughs> kind of thing isn't going to work. I don't yeah. know. I just think that it's about taking out the, you know, the, uh, the last thing I would want is for a few, you know, as I've described, my wedding was nothing normal. You know, no. my wedding wasn't a traditional slot in here kind of thing. And I don't, I wouldn't want my funeral to be either. You know, I, I feel like, the more individualistic you can be generally in all these great points in your life, because, you know, a funeral is the, one of, is the last great point in your life. It's the last signature point in your life. Yeah. That Then be, be as individualistic as possible. But mm. I, and I, I think that's something that's probably going to become more the case with our generation onwards. I think so. I think the previous generations are very much locked into a pattern of thought of, well, this is how it is. This is how it's yeah. always been. We do it this way. And I, we don't think that way. I don't no, think anymore. we do not. So, you know, <laughs> even in death, Mark, we don't think that way. <laughs> no. So have you thought about what music tracks you'd like for your entrance, your reflection and your exit in your funeral? I, th I think I would definitely like some film score music in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that my favourite ever film score, Star Trek The Motion Picture, is going to work in a funeral somewhere. Oh, I don't know. It could be your final frontier. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. 
<laughs> but I don't know how that would work. I think we'd have to workshop it. I think we'd have to like do a practice funeral. Put me in a room, like if you, you know, on my deathbed. <laughs> I can hear it and go, no, not that one. Skip to track six. That's better. Stranger things have been chosen, man. (laughs) I've done funerals with a Friends theme and with the Coronation Street theme. The Coronation Street theme, really? The lady liked Corrie and people wanted it to reflect her. So Corrie. Oh, fair play. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, nice. Yeah, I think that, I'm not, if I'm honest, I'm not massively a... Massively into into music in a way beyond that. Like I, I, I've always enjoyed bands and I've enjoyed songs, but you know some people are just dedicated to a particular song or band or anything like that. Mm. I'm just not that kind of person, really. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'd say right for an intro and an outro song, find a song with the with the name Black in it. So you've got Back in Black by ACDC. Good. I I am quite partial to Black Magic Woman by Santana, but I'm not. Quite- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's a good song but um... yeah 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 <laughs> um, so yeah maybe I'd say that find songs with the with the name black in them there's loads Fade to Black yeah Fade to Black yeah um, Young Gifted and Black I'm not sure that's going to work somehow but um... uh, okay <laughs> that old Black Magic by Rod Stewart that would be a good one yeah it would there we go yeah and what about the reflection then, where people are actually having a moment to to think and if they want to, if they want to pray? Perhaps not ACDC for that. <laughs> um, I really, I, I really, really don't know. I, th- I, I, th- I think it would again. I would, I would just have to go back to a particular sort of piece of of film music. But I just, I just don't mm. know what it is, Mark. It's like mm. I, th- I think. I, I feel bad for this because I don't feel like I, I've. It's not that I've, I've not given this enough thought. I just, I just, I just don't know what what to put in these in these situations. I don't, no, I don't know if you found this before with other interviews, whether some people have mapped it out in detail or anything like that. But I just find it really difficult. I find it really difficult to think about what the right thing would be for something I'm not there for. A bit of both, um, to be honest with you. If you're more into music, like, for example, Colin, who we both know, who does We we Dig Music, uh, which, yeah. you know, does exactly what it says on the tin, really. He really likes Absolutely. music. Um, he'd very much thought this out. But um, yeah. other people kind of sit there and mull it over while I interview them. And I like both approaches, really. Mm. Yeah, I suppose you get the variety of, like... Somebody who has a very fixed idea of, of of a song that fits them and that moment, mm. and and I I mean I, I I'm a bit envious of that in a way. I kind of wish I could do that, and mm. I, I could I could ma- I could be certain that I love that song that much that I would want it played as I'm you know sent away. Yeah, uh, but I just don't. I don't have that really. Maybe I'll just ask Colin. I'll say, well, "Give me a song, Colin." Like any will do. Just it's got to have black in the title. That's it. <laughs> I think your choice of film soundtracks is is a good one. There's some beautiful, beautiful music on film soundtracks, and yeah, you know, I've had people's use music from Lord Lord of the Rings. You had Star Wars. I haven't had Star Wars yet. That surprises me. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, people our age, or maybe even a little bit older, actually might want that kind of cinematic, sci-fi kind of music, yeah? I think that might be more common now. 
Really, mm. I think you'll find that'll creep in because it's it's a lot more popular than it used to be as as something that people enjoy. I tell you what, would really throw people off is if I, they had to come in to the music from The Shining. That'd be really good. Oh, for so that's sort of down, 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 down. <laughs> You're still not the weirdest. I've had someone who wanted the theme tune from the wrestler Shinsuke Nakamura. So, you know, you're still not the weirdest weirdo. Okay. I'm 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 frustrated <laughs> at this. I keep I keep thinking I'm going to win this crown. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I like to say I've got interesting friends, but that's probably the diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> well, you know, better than the dull people. <laughs> Right, so, Tony, thank you so much for being on Life's Milestones. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, let's do this outro in less than an hour, so we'll, we'll cut this down. <laughs> um, <laughs> two basic places, AJ, at AJ Black Writer on Twitter is where I mainly hang out. Um, I also have a Facebook page, AJ Black Writer um, Podcaster, um, which I update here and there. And then you'll find through that Twitter all of the different like things that I'm doing, but... The main one, obviously, at the We Made This Podcast Network, which this podcast is part of, mm-hmm. and We Made This Pod, so you'll find all the different shows and things like that on there, including my the two podcasts I'm probably most focused on right now, which is Motion Pictures, at Motion Pictures Pod, and Between the Notes, films about film scores, funnily enough, at BTW underscore notes. So, uh, yeah, if you can give those, check those out, I'd be most grateful. Before we go, any other quick plugs that you want to throw out there? Uh, well, I, I have released a book. So if you are interested in TV, movies, and how sort of mythology sort of works in terms of those, you know, the hero's journey, all that kind of stuff that you're probably thinking, uh? But, you know, if you like <laughs> films and telly, give it a try. It's called Myth Building in Modern Media, The Role of the Myth Arc in Imagined Worlds. I didn't come up with the title. Um, <laughs> but that's, uh, I'd have had something shorter. Uh, but, yeah, it's available uh, from McFarland Publishing and uh, on Amazon either via Kindle or from uh, various different stores. Although, if you uh, if you really want to buy it, uh, give me a message so I can get you 10% off if we do it with a certain you know method I've got. So, uh, yeah, I'd be very grateful if you gave that a check out. Brilliant. Tony, you've been a fantastic guest. Thanks again for coming on Life's Milestones. My pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. I just want to say one more time, Thank you very much to Tony for not only coming on Life's Milestones, but coming back twice after those technical difficulties and um, being such a good sport about it. These things happen in podcasting and it's frustrating as hell. And of all the people for it to go wrong with, I guess head podcaster general was maybe the person that was going to be the most forgiving. So, you know, it is what it is. This was supposed to go out in May. It's now going out in September, but that's fine with me and that's fine with Tony. I hope you enjoyed, well, the two, in a way, interviews that I had with Tony. And the reality is that there would be no life milestones without Tony. Without him embracing this podcast as part of his network, there wouldn't be this podcast. So thanks to him for that as well, I guess. The last four episodes have been with podcasters, people who I do know through this network. And... Honestly, during the COVID thing where you can't really meet up with people, that has been the easy way for me because these people know how to record their own stuff and get high quality recordings. Whereas you talk to someone who's not particularly au fait with podcasting, 
it does mean that sometimes the recording quality if you just record a Skype call rather than record separately on your own computers it can take a dip so I've kind of been avoiding talking to people face to face I'm going to try and rectify that when the Covid restrictions allow me to do that so hopefully in future we'll have a few more folk outside of my podcasting community because I don't want to just talk to podcasters i want to get lots and lots of different interesting people i've talked about getting people of faith on i've talked about getting younger people and older people on i want diversity so i'm going to do my best and i might end up with egg on my face because who knows who the next guest is i haven't recorded anything yet (laughs) but regardless of that i hope you found the last four or five guests really interesting because people who podcast are people who've got a voice people who want to talk and i hope you found those all really interesting Before I go, just a reminder that there is a Spotify playlist associated with this show. If you just search for Life Milestones playlist, you'll be able to find it. And all of Tony's choices will be added very shortly. Probably by the time you listen to this, they will have already been added. So check out all of the choices of all of the guests so far on that beautifully peculiar playlist. And thank you very much for joining me. And I'll see you in a fortnight. Life's Milestones is a podcast by me, Mark Adams. Follow me on Twitter at MarkAdamsHC. That's also my handle for Instagram. If you're looking for my website, it's www.humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams. If you're looking for my Facebook, it's Mark Adams Humanist Celebrant. All the information on how to use me as your celebrant is there. The show's social media is at life's milestones on twitter other than that i am just using my celebrant contacts for the show thank you for listening and we'll see you next time elsewhere and we made this Cine Mortuary Podcast. Well, anyway, you know, we, we're talking about Werner Herzog now, aren't you? Who's a rule breaker, uh, Wilson? Yeah. His, his version of Tom and Jerry was a bit weirder. Yes, now that, that I would pay to see. Uh, it's just Tom with a potato masher just hammering Jerry for an hour and a half <laughs> into absolute dust and pulp. And then takes his own life at the end by sticking his head in the microwave. Thanks, Bernard. I hurt so. Cheers for that. Pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast. I actually never had a Nintendo 64. One of my best friends did, though, so he was particularly good at it, and I was particularly shit at it. So I I was not much chop when it came to Goldeneye. I was usually the fourth friend. I was the one that everyone peeped on. They'd like watch my screen. They'd know exactly where I'm respawning. They all learned <laughs> the spawns. And like I just I just pop up and I'd be dead in like ten seconds before I could get a gun. Yeah, um, we had a guy like that in the crew. Uh, his name was <laughs> Alan. So yeah, and we used to roast Alan big time. Yeah, so I'm Alan in that situation. Ask us about Loom. A point-and-click podcast. During, particularly during the King's Quest, Police Quest, Space Quest games. Mm. I think Ronga was quoted... Uh, I'm power-quoting because I can't remember the exact quote, but it's at the point where, like, 
you'd be too scared to do anything in Sierra games mm. where because you're like you'll, you'll you'll walk off a path and you'll die you'll go oh you'll walk past you'll go onto a screen and suddenly Medusa comes out and oh. turns you to stone sounds like playing Prince of Persia the original, <laughs> oh that was because that was like taking the life into your hands <laughs> yeah but um, yeah but then like, the idea being that you that like you'd be too scared to experiment because you'll yeah. die and you have to be constantly saving. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network.